Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. When punk threatened to make Neil Young obsolete, he responded with one of the greatest albums in his career, Rust Never Sleeps. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Codd of the Chicago Tribune. We celebrate our 300th show with a classic album dissection of Rust Never Sleeps. And we review the new album by Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. And time now for some music news. I took my troubles down to Madame Ruth. You know that gypsy with a gold cap tooth. She's got a pad on 34th and Vine. Selling little bottles of love potion number nine. Greg, we have the deaths of two important songwriters in rock history to mark this week. I'm going to start with the great Jerry Lieber, who died at the age of 78, known forever as the partner of Mike Stoller. It was Lieber and Stoller who put their mark on rock and roll from the mid-50s into the late 60s with an indelible string of hits. I mean, listen to the artists who covered them, right? The Beatles, Jerry Lee Lewis, Buddy Holly, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers, Barbara Streisand, Edith Piaf, and the songs. What an unforgettable roster. Whether you're talking about the Drifters, Ruby Baby, or the Clovers, Love Potion Number 9. We talked about the Coasters recently, Greg, when Carl Gardner passed. An incredible diversity of material in their catalog. I think the predominant factor was a sense of humor. A wicked, sly, mischievous sense of humor that's there in all of their songs. Whether you're talking at one end of the spectrum, Peggy Lee's Is That All There Is? You know, talk about schmaltzing over the top, but unforgettable. Or at the other end... Hound Dog, not originally written for Elvis Presley, although he claimed it. In fact, they hated his version, right? Yeah, absolutely. They uh, thought he turned it into kind of a joke. Big Mama Thornton was who they wrote it for a few years earlier. They loved her. They thought, this is a salty woman. Let's write a song where she's kicking out her boyfriend. And she was perfect for it. You just old Hound Dog. It's new. 
Elvis sort of turned it into a joke, but the Big Mama Thornton version is just incredible. And that's the one that I think really established their name and reputation. Well, and there was a real revival of uh, Lieber Stoller songs starting in the mid-90s with that Broadway production, Smokey Joe's Cafe. Now, Jerry Lieber's dead at the age of 78. Another death in the music community, Jim, uh, Nicholas Ashford at age 70, died within a few hours of the death of Jerry Lieber. Ashford and Simpson, we talked about them on a show a few weeks ago. Their great songwriting duo out of Motown wrote numerous hits for Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, among others, Smokey Robinson, Gladys Knight. They met in New York in around 1964 and really came on the scene when they wrote Ray Charles' first number one hit, Let's Go Get Stone. Now, this was an interesting song for Ray Charles to be singing at yeah. the time because he just got out of rehab. And he's singing, ain't no harm to have a little taste, using the lyrics of Ashford and Simpson to sort of mark his comeback and his ascent to the number one spot. From that point on, they became one of the biggest songwriting duos in music for the next two decades. Interesting, Jim, that this duo had all those hits in the late 60s and early 70s and yet continued to have success in the disco era. Very rare achievement during those days. They had hits during the disco era for people like Shaka Khan and Sylvester and themselves. They had a huge hit in the early 80s called Solid. I want to play one of their more obscure tracks, though, Jim. This was a song that they wrote in the late 60s. It was part of that hippie, groovy, everybody, let's get together movement. The Fifth Dimension originally recorded this song, but a great jazz vocalist named Marlena Shaw heard something in this song and really transformed it and owned it. And it became, I think, one of the most enduring songs they ever recorded. It went on to be sampled by DJ Shadow in the 90s, remixed by Diplo. It appeared in a commercial. People may not even recognize what it was, but it's a classic song, and I want to play the original version as recorded by Marlena Shaw in the late 60s. It's California Soul from Ashford and Simpson on Sound Opinions. Like a sound you hear that lingers in your ear, but you can't forget from sundown to sunset. It's all in the air, you hear it everywhere, no matter what you do.
That is the wonderful tune, California Soul, written by Valerie Simpson with her partner Nick Ashford in remembrance of Ashford's death at the age of 70. Listen to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and it's time for one of our classic album dissections. Today we're going to talk about Neil Young's Rust Never Sleeps, and what you're hearing is the first track from that record. My My Hey Hey Out of the Blue, the acoustic version of that song that actually frames the album. He does an acoustic version up top. At the end of the album, he does an electric version. It kind of tells the tale of the album in that one particular song. The album came out in 1979. It was one of dozens of albums that Neil Young has released over his career. Jim, you and I immediately lasered in on this record when we talked about, let's do a dissection of one of Neil Young's records. Both of us said, Russ Never Sleeps is the one. I don't know about you, but I think for me, this album represented a a key point in an artist's career where he had to make a decision. He could go one way or another, the proverbial fork in the road. Yeah. He was the first of that 60s generation of artists who had made a lot of bread in the 60s and had come to a lot of fame and had a fairly successful 70s, albeit in a checkered fashion. He was up and down, but he was still selling lots of records. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, that name was iconic. He could tour with those guys anytime and do stadium tours. And all of a sudden, something happened, 76, 77. Remember the summer of hate in England. Punk rock comes along. And how would these vintage rockers respond. Well, Neil Young's response, above all others, I think, was unique. He was the one guy that got it, and this was the album that said, not only do I get it, but I'm going to trump all of you. I'm going to trump my my peers, and I'm going to go toe-to-toe with the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and show you how it's done. Well, you have to remember the context. You know, you have the Rolling Stones suddenly realizing we, we better up our game. All these punks are making us look old. Here's some girls. And, you you know, you have Yes giving you going for the one. And bands like that, everybody's stripping down and wondering what it's about. But Young had gone over to England in the middle of 1977. There is a phenomenal article that Cameron Crowe wrote in 1979 for Rolling Stone called Neil Young, The Last American Hero. And Young tells Cameron here. I first knew something was going on when we visited England a year and a half ago. Kids were tired of the rock stars and the limousines and the abusing of stage privileges as stars. There was this new music the kids were listening to. As soon as I heard my contemporaries saying, God, what is this? This is going to be over in three months. I knew it was a sure sign right there that they were going to bite it if they didn't watch out. (laughs) A lot of them are biting it this year. People are not going to come back and see the same thing over and over again. It's got to change. It's the snake that eats itself. Punk music, new wave, call it what you want. It's rock and roll to me, and it's still the basis of what's going on. And 
it has been the basis of Young's entire career. Whether he's been in acoustic mode, whether he's been in electric mode, whether he's been playing with synthesizers. You know, he has always been about evolving and moving forward. And there's kind of a funny story about the album that preceded Russ Never Sleeps, Comes a Time, a perfectly fine but not great Neil Young album. He was sick to death of it by the time it came out because he was excited by this new music coming from the lower east side of Manhattan and coming from England. He had approved the wrong test pressing of the record, and he spent $160,000 of his own money to buy back copies of Comes a Time that were already in the record stores because he didn't want fans to have it. He was very excited about this new album, which he proceeds to record mostly live, in large part live, in the Cow Palace in San Francisco. There are some overdubs added, and there's an avalanche of product. There's the album Rust Never Sleeps, which we're focusing on. There's a double live album called Live Rust, comes from the same period and time. And there's a movie called Russ Never Sleeps that's a concert film. Young's connection with punk was apt, Jim, because one of the key connections, one of the key inspirations for this album was that Ohio art punk band Devo. Circuitous connection made here. There were tapes of early Devo tracks circulating among certain rock intelligentsia, David Bowie had one, Iggy Pop had one, Dean Stockwell, a sort of a hanger-on of that scene, Hollywood actor by day, a rock star by night, had a copy. His girlfriend, Tony Basil, got a copy. The choreographer <laughs> turned pop star in the which, 80s. Which yeah. Stockwell had heard. Stockwell, in turn, gave it to Young. Young was blown away. What is this? I've never heard anything like this. These guys are amazing. So he ends up meeting Mark Mothersbaugh and company from Akron. They come out to San Francisco, and they start working on the tail end of this film, Human Highway, with him. That is a just total chaotic affair. I mean, Dennis Hopper is involved, right? That should tell you something. <laughs> well, as his alter ego, Bernard Shakey, Neil Young has fantasized that he's been a film director throughout his career, and this was one of the periods where he's behind the camera. Right. So Young is working on this song, Hey, Hey, My, My, Into the Black. And along the way, Devo starts working with him on the song. Young is asking them to perform the song in the movie, and they Devo it up. I mean, they come do this warped version of the song. Along the way, he gets to talking to these guys, and he hears them dropping this line, Rust Never Sleeps. He says, where's that from? These guys used to be in the advertising world in their early days back in Ohio, and this was one of the graphic design elements they used for a rust-proofing company that they were working for. Rust-oleum spray paint. Rust never sleeps. Young thought that was just brilliant. In some ways, it coalesced the album for him. What is this album about? It is about obsolescence. It's about, is it better to burn out or to fade away? He was facing that very question with his own career. The punks were bringing him to the brink, questioning his real value. King is gone, but he's not forgotten. This is the story of Johnny Rodden.
It needs to be said that not only in 1977 did we have this explosion of punk in England that Neil Young witnessed firsthand, but also the death of Elvis Presley in August of 77. So somehow, you know, everything, the, the cosmos was realigning. Yeah. The old rock and roll was dying. The new one was coming up. Neil Young was trying to decide, where do I fit in? And with the help of Devo, he developed a theme for this record. Suddenly comes a time, didn't sound so cool anymore. Right. And suddenly this new thing that he was working on needed to be done. It needs to be said as well that Young preferred to work backwards. It was not about going into the studio, creating a record, and then going out and touring it. It was about touring the record first yeah. and then making that record. And in this case, taking the live versions of those songs that he played on a 1978 tour, uh, primarily in San Francisco, but also from other sites as well, and recording those songs, draining out the crowd noise so it was just almost an eerie background effect, and calling those songs and making it this record. Jim, I think it's fascinating that in the context of punk rock, the death of Elvis, etc., he still did a record that in many ways is the best of all Neil Young worlds. It wasn't going to be just one thing. Half acoustic, half electric. Both sides equally profound, but there was, a, I think, a punk ethos about even the acoustic songs on this record. Yeah, there certainly was, and you can see it in the film. Again, I don't want to dwell on the concert movie, but but one of the things that's really important to remember is that the stage props for this tour were giant oversized amplifiers, <laughs> a giant microphone, okay? And he's on stage in front of this 20-foot microphone and these 40-foot amps, right? What is that about? Young told Cameron Crowe that... I felt dwarfed by the music industry. The music industry had gotten so big, so bloated, so corporate, so soulless. I didn't know where I fit in anymore. That's Neil Young in 78. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about it today, right? I think it was brave to open with an acoustic set, as you said, and to stand there alone with that acoustic guitar in an arena, which is always a brave move, but in the middle of punk. There are many hardcore heavy metal fans that I grew up with, hipster punk rockers at that time, Everybody loved Neil Young. He would sing Sugar Mountain, and the most hard-ass rock fan would get a tear at his eye, Mm -hmm. okay? You had to love him because there was a soul in that music, no matter how he was playing it, whether he was going back to what he always called his best band ever, Crazy Horse. For the thousands of nights they've done on the road, Young has always maintained, I have never had a bad night when I was playing with Crazy Horse. They were at the top of their game here, but he was at the top of his game acoustically as well. And that's where we're going to pick up after a quick break with the acoustic side of Russ Never Sleeps. Then Greg and I will review the latest from former pavement band leader Stephen Malcolmus. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Aurora Borealis The icy sky at night Paddles cut the water in a long and hurried flight From the white men To the fields of green In the homeland We've never seen They killed us in our teepee They cut our women down They might have left some babies crying on the ground. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is the song Welfare Mothers from Neil Young's 1979 album, Russ Never Sleeps. We're doing a classic album dissection of this record, one that stands out from Young's incredible catalog of 34 albums over four decades. You know, throughout his catalog, Greg, I would have to say, whether we're talking about work with Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Young's prolific uh, solo catalog, if we both were put on the spot and had to choose one album we'd take with us to the desert island, it would be Russ Never Sleeps. I got to say, partly, too, I think, Greg, it's because we grew up with it. Mm -hmm. This was when we were really cognizant young rock fans. We knew what came before. You had to have Decade. Everybody had Decade, you know, Mm -hmm. the ultimate best of in rock history. But, But we got to see this, and this felt like Neil's gift to us. All those people in the 60s who'd seen him with Buffalo Springfield, who knew him from before. Yeah, yeah, all well and good. We appreciate the guy's history, but he's making the best music in the world right now, and he's giving it to us. And, as I said earlier, he's doing it fearlessly. How uncool in the heyday of the Sex Pistols, of the Clash, of the Ramones, to stand on stage with an acoustic guitar and a harmonica. Mm -hmm. As we said, there's two sides to this record, the acoustic side and the electric side. Both Bookended by My My Hey Hey Out of the Blue, one acoustic version, one electric version. This is Young saying, these are the two sides of my career, these are the two sides of my personality. You may think it's black and white, but it's not really. The electric side is powered, of course, by Crazy Horse, that wonderful band. Pancho San Pedro, Billy Talbot, Ralph Molina. The acoustic side is basically just Neil, although the great Nicolette Larson lends some backing vocals on the song Sail Away. The acoustic side was kind of a grab bag. The song Sail Away had been recorded without Crazy Horse sometime around the making of Comes a Time. Pocahontas was recorded solo in 1975, so it's not one of those songs that came from the stage of the Cow Palace. Much of the bulk of Russ Never Sleeps was recorded on stage live in front of an audience in San Francisco at the Cow Palace. The audience noise was dubbed out, sometimes better than others. You can hear them <laughs> during My My Hey Hey. And then there were overdubs added. So so Young was taking the basic recordings of the live tracks and then augmenting them. He wanted this to be a studio album. At the same time, he's thinking later about the live album and he's thinking about the movie. What do we have on the acoustic side? Well, My My Hey Hey, Out of the Blue is, as you said, a requiem for Sid Vicious. It's out of the blue and into the black. They give you this, but you pay for that. He's thinking about the place of Johnny Rotten. He's thinking about Sid Vicious self-destroying. He's thinking about the way the king of rock and roll 
died. And he's saying that the Sex Pistols are very much a part of that lineage in the same way that Elvis was. You've got to remember how radical punk rock seemed in 76 and 77. People were saying, this is just noise, this is cheap sensationalism, this has nothing to do with the rock and roll I love. Choose one. The Rolling Stones, Elvis Presley, The Beatles... Neil Young. Mm. Neil Young's saying, I wish I was as good as the Sex Pistols. Mm. And of course he is. He's going to proceed to show us that. The acoustic songs, aside from My My Hey Hey, are very familiar themes for Young. He loves to play with American history, the rich tapestry of American history, and he loves to do weird juxtapositions with it. Ride My Llama. For a while, this album was going to be called Ride My Llama, the silliest Neil Young song title ever. Begins with Remember the Alamo. When help was on the way It's better here and now I feel that good today Remember the Alamo When help was on the way It's better here and now I feel that good today I like to take a walk But not around the block I really got some news I met a man from Mars This is classic Neil Young. He's simultaneously thinking of the great tapestry of American history, but saying, now, live in the moment, seize the moment. It's all about, he feels, he feels that good today, all right? You know, and he's going to ride his llama from Peru to Texarkana. I don't know what that's about. It doesn't matter. The best Neil Young lines have never made any sense, but they sound so wonderfully poetic. Sail Away is similar. I could live in a teepee. I could die in Penthouse 33. He's thinking about how he's really a very simple guy, but he's in the midst of this rock stardom, and where does he fit? He's trying to get back to where he fit when he started out playing in garage bands up in Canada, and he's trying to take that road back and reconnect because he's very inspired by what these punks are doing. I could live inside a TV. I could die in Could there be a more uncool way to start a song in the heyday of punk than the way Young starts Thrasher? They were hiding behind hay bales. They were planting in the full moon. When I would walk to CBGB as a 17 and 18-year-old, there weren't no hay bales in New York City. There weren't no hay bales in any punk rock club in America. And yet, I somehow connected with this music Neil Young was singing. They were hiding behind hay bales. They were planning in the full moon They had given all they had for something new But the light of day was on them They could see the thrashers coming And the water shone like diamonds in the dew As we look at the acoustic side of Russ Never Sleeps, one track really stands out. It might even be my favorite young song of all time, Pocahontas. And this one, too, has a very familiar Neil Young theme. You'll recall in Cortez the Killer, he has already fantasized himself as one of the Southern American 
native peoples who are overwhelmed by the Spanish when they invade, and Cortez the Killer comes and decimates a culture. I think Pocahontas ups the ante even better because Neil Young is so fascinated, this Canadian, with America. And this is one of the great American anthems of all time. It starts by Young contemplating nature, as he often does. He is a stone-cold hippie. He loves to go out and, and think about how beautiful nature is. Aurora Borealis, the icy sky at night. Paddles cut the water in a long and hurried flight. Oh, what's happening? We're, we're looking at this scene, and suddenly there are native peoples in a canoe running away. Running away from what? Running away from incidents like Wounded Knee, where the American expansion through the West drove the native peoples further and further from their homelands into reservations and almost to extinction. They killed us in our teepee. They cut our women down. They might have let some babies crying on the ground. It's like, wow, heavy stuff. What is Neil talking about? He's talking about the soul of America here. And then in that typically surreal fashion, he shifts and takes it to Mars, the same way Ride My Llama. What, what does Texarkana and the Alamo have to do with Mars when he starts dropping Mars in? Same way here. And this is how he does it. Maybe Marlon Brando will join us by the fire. We'll sit and talk of Hollywood and the good things there for hire. The Astrodome and the first TP, Marlon Brando, Pocahontas, and me. <laughs> wow! What's going on? The Godfather, one of the best movies of all time. Marlon Brando won the Oscar. And he refused to go to the Academy Award ceremonies. In his place, he sent a Native American woman, Sasheen Littlefeather, who accepted his Oscar but gave a speech about the harsh treatment by the American government and the American people of the Native peoples of this country. Brando was always an activist, but of course he's also an American icon. Besides Elvis, who's already appeared on this album, I mean, who else are you going to put on that postage stamp to say, this is America, right? Mm -hmm. It's Marlon Brando. And Young is fantasizing himself sitting around a campfire getting stoned on the peace pipe with Pocahontas, Marlon Brando, Neil Young, thinking about what's great about America, but also what's wrong with it. How can you not love this song in pieces? This is Neil Young's Pocahontas on Sound Opinions. Aurora Borealis, the icy sky at night. Paddles cut the water in a long and hurried flight from the white They killed us in our TV And they cut our women down They might have left some babies Crying on the ground But the fire steals And the wagons come And the night falls On the setting sun With my Indian love and a pipe to share. 
That is Pocahontas from Neil Young on Sound Opinions from the acoustic half of Rust Never Sleeps. We're doing a classic album dissection of that iconic 1979 Neil Young record. And it is iconic for many reasons, one of which is that classic acoustic side that Jim DeRogatis just addressed, and now the electric side, which I'm going to be looking at. The electric side of the record, Crazy Horse in its full glory. Crazy Horse, the band that Neil had been playing with for much of the 70s, Frank Pancho San Pedro, Billy Talbot, Ralph Molina, they are in their glory on this side of the record. As we've said, the song that starts out acoustic, My My, Hey Hey, Out of the Blue, frames the record. The band flips it on the electric side. It becomes electric, it becomes Hey Hey, My My, Into the Black. Nothing like this sound was being made in 1979, and I say this with all due respect to all the punks that were out there. I swear, Jim, when I put this record on, I thought it was defective, especially the electric side. <laughs> it was so loud, so distorted, I'm going, wow, he's punching you in the face. And it was especially true of that last track on side two, Hey Hey, My My, Into the Black electric version. Billy Talbot, the bass player, once told me one of the things that was sort of floating around at the time was that Queen song, We Will Rock You, mm. and Neil was kind of like, I'm going to one-up that. You think that was heavy? I'm going to stomp you into the ground. So that brontosaurus stomp on this song was very apt. When Neil was touring this record, he was playing it to some pretty highfalutin audiences. I mean, the, the Hollywood stars would come out to see the tour wherever it was because it was being billed as this elaborate, theatrical kind of thing. There's a great story going around that Ahmet Erdogan, one of his closest friends in the record business... Founder of Man- Atlantic, yeah. Founder of Atlantic Records. Man had worked with him since the days of Buffalo Springfield in the 60s, came to one of the shows, I believe it was, was a show in San Francisco, and left after two songs of, <laughs> of the electric portion of the show because it was too loud. And Young wanted it to be loud. He wanted it to be ear-splitting. He wanted it to be challenging for the audience. So Crazy Horse was gathered around the drum riser and playing their butts off. They were playing as loud as they possibly could, playing this ferocious, violent music. We get some examples of it on this record. Sedan Delivery, Welfare Mothers Precede, Hey Hey, My My, Into the Black, and they are just stomping versions of what this band could do. Welfare Mothers, kind of tongue-in-cheek, obviously just a, a series of chants. Sedan Delivery, more complicated, one of those long-winding, young narratives. Kind of creepy. The guy's looking for a job unemployment's in the air is he delivering drugs what exactly is this man doing well and it's like on 45 rpm exactly it's it's a ferocious example of sonic's frumping sense You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we are dissecting Neil Young's classic album, Russ Never Sleeps. 
Greg, what do you think of Neil commenting on the anti-welfare sentiment at the time, you know, in, in the song Welfare Mothers, with that line, Welfare Mothers Make Better Lovers, followed by the chance of divorcee? I think there's no doubt that there's certain empathy for blue collar, the blue collar class. He comes from that. He's empathizing with it here. I think it's you know it's tongue in cheek. It's obviously meant to make you chuckle a little bit. But clearly that was in the air at the time. Unemployment was rising. The country's economy was in the toilet. I think he was feeling some of that. And yes, he was making a statement here. You know these are these are people too, much like the Native Americans. Yeah. He was talking about America as well. And one of the things that strikes me about this album, Jim is that the lens is a little wider here. He'd been making very personal records immediately preceding this. You know, Comes a Time was a great example of kind of a personal, romantic kind of record. Even Tonight's the Night was yeah. about his personal travails, the wreckage of the mid-'70s and that band falling the apart. The lost to drug abuse. Here he's pulling it back, and it's a much wider screen look at America and its place in the world, and, you know, by extension, his place in the world. He was questioning his own place because he didn't know where he was going to go with the onslaught of punk and how he was going to react to it. All right, so now I took the easy way out. I took the acoustic side. You have got the electric side, which means you have the dilemma of all time for any Neil Young fan. What is Powderfinger about? <laughs> well, it's a song you could write a novel about, right? And in fact, it if you go novel, online, yeah. uh, there are incredible dissertations on what this song means to people. And the, and the beauty of it is that it can mean something different to everyone. But one thing that is known about this song, it is an indisputable fact, is that it began from one line. Neil had the opening line in his head and wrote the song around it eventually. Look out, Mama, there's a white boat coming up the river. And suddenly that opens up a novel's worth of ideas about where you could be and who this narrator is and what the song could be about. He'd worked on the song basically since the late 60s. Apparently that line popped into his head in the late 60s, apparently finished it in 75, and started touring it on this particular series of shows where it really came together with Crazy Horse. Now the song can be interpreted many, many different ways. Some people see it as a Wild West John Ford type movie scenario. You know, let's go back to the 19th century. Civil War scenario, if you will. You know, the big white boat coming around the turn. Is this some Union army coming after the Confederates on the river? It's the Federals. I'm protecting my still, and they're coming to take my whiskey. You know, the white boat implies an authority figure of some sort, whether it's an army or maybe it's the Coast Guard, but they're coming after you. The sense I get from listening to the song is that it's less of a an organized force that they're after, but, as you said, some outlaws. Yeah, And it could have been some moonshine going on, some illegal activity, some contraband that is being created. You some, never really some know. Some powder that was popular in the disco <laughs> yeah. era. Exactly. But yet again, how does that explain the setting? You know, it, it could be you almost get the sense of the Civil War kind of thing at the same time. So as with Pocahontas... He's flipping through time. He's, he's yeah. melding together the centuries. You don't know if you're in the 20th century. You don't know if you're in the 19th century. You could be anywhere. But the main point is that we have these authority figures, these people with more guns and more ammo than you could ever possibly imagine coming after you. And how are you going to react in this crucible? He's just turned 22, he tells us in the song. These people are coming to get me. They're probably not here to to shake hands and say, come on in, we'll have a little chat. No, they're here to wipe us out. So I have to act somehow. 
he reacts by picking up a gun and aiming it at the boat, instead finds himself, his face splashes in the sky before he can even get a shot off. And in the last verse, he's talking to us from the grave. Think of me as one you'd never figure would fade away so young with so much left undone. Again, the themes of the album being tied together, the whole idea of Russ Never Sleeps burning out before you can fade away an early death, is that preferable to being around for decades longer and perhaps living not quite so fulfilling a life and instead dying, doing the one thing that kind of makes you a hero. In this case, defending your family and its way of life. And then you've got this riff. And I think it is one of the all-time great Neil Young riffs. Majestic and tragic all at once. The way it ascends and then hits those doomy chords on the way down. You can see the whole character's life in that riff. Crazy Horse falling in around it. A great performance and also perhaps the most lyrical young solo on this record. I mean, the rest of it is just like violent thudding. And here you have this almost elegiac quality. It leads off the electric half, and the electric half of the album just becomes more violent. The death that he leaves you with at the end of this song is definitely played out, I think, in Hey, Hey, My, My, Into the Black at the end, where he just blows everything apart. This is a death sonically that is talked about in the song Powderfinger initially. So let's hear it. Powderfinger from Neil Young on Sound Opinions. Look out, Mama, there's a white boat coming up the river With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail I think you better call John Cause it don't look like they're here to deliver The man And it's less than Yeah. 
Powderfinger by Neil Young from 1979, wrapping up our classic album dissection of Rust Never Sleeps. If you want to share your thoughts about the album or any of your own sound opinions, call 888-859-1800. Jim and I will be back with a review of the new album by indie icon Stephen Malcolmus in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is a song with an awkward title. No one is, parentheses, as IRB, by Stephen Malcolmus, who forever will be best known as the leader of Pavement. But this is a tune on his fifth post-Pavement solo album. Coming at us now, Mirror Traffic. Greg, Pavement was back touring the U.S. last summer, and people were thrilled to have them back. I'd say after the Pixies, probably the most anticipated alt-era indie underground reunion tour of its day. This album actually had its roots starting out before the Pavement reunion, and it brings together two of the leading lights of the alternative rock era of the 90s, Malcolmus and Beck. Beck producing Malcolmus here. You know, two very obtuse and skewed and twisted songwriters coming together. What do they give us? Also on this record, Janet Weiss, the great drummer of Sleater Kinney, who now has gone on to the Wild Flag Project. Malcolmus solo records have often disappointed Pavement fans because he tried a lot of things that were that were different than what Pavement did. 
you know, pavement covered a lot of ground in its day until it broke up in 1999, as, as Malcolm has told us when he was a guest on the show last year. But afterwards, I think he was really glad to be out of the group setting, was trying all sorts of different things, from weird psychedelic noise guitar, lots of solos, to more pavement-like material. What has he given us in collaboration with Beck on this new record, Mirror Traffic? Let's play a song from it, and then we'll come back and give our reviews. This is the opening song. It's called Tigers by Stephen Malcolmus on Sound Opinions. I caught you streaking in your Birkenstocks A scary thought in the two case It's not too late Sits in toothpaste Got enveloped in your sticker shock I gotta tell ya It's a barrage It's a barrage It's a That is Tigers from Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks, the new album Mirror Traffic. Jim, as you mentioned, it is a collaboration between two superstars, such as they are, from the 90s alternative rock scene. And it is the first time that Malcolmus has enlisted an actual producer in his post-pavement career. I think Beck is here to play one role, not to create a, another Beck record, but to help... Malcolmus, remember what he's all about. What are his strengths? <laughs> hey, man, you made some really great records with Pavement. Why don't we try to make a record in that vein again? Because I have to say, I think he's sort of lost the plot on his solo records lately. A lot of the inner prog rocker, the inner jam band guy is coming out in Malcolmus almost as if he was willfully trying to deny the past with Pavement, where he was writing these fairly concise, melodic songs. He's back to that mold on this record. 11 of the 15 tracks are under 4 minutes long. Most of them are in that 2 to 3 minute range. He's getting back to more concise songs like he was writing with Pavement. He's still got those obscure kind of quizzical lyrics. You have to look at them three or four times to figure out what they mean. And those you can figure out are said with a smirk. That line that everybody's quoting, I cannot even do one sit-up. Sit-ups are so bourgeoisie. That is yeah, a classic yeah, yeah. Malcolmist line, right? Well, the dude's 45 years old now, you know? I mean, well, nothing like an aging slacker. <laughs> you know, what do you say? And that's it. I think he's also poking fun at his reputation as a 
slacker, as a guy who just doesn't care. But I think he does care. I think he is a very craftsman-like songwriter. I think he's an excellent guitar player, and I think he's bringing those things to bear on this record once again. He has decided, hey, I'm going to write some really great songs that sound like Pavement songs might have been. He's not breaking any new ground, but I think Pavement fans are going to love hearing this record. For the first time, Malcolmus has made a record on his own that reminds them of the mid-90s. Maybe he's going backwards a little bit, but I like this record. It's incredibly tuneful. I'm going to give it a buy it on the buy it, burn it, trash it rating. I'll agree with you, Greg. I think this is a buy it record. I've always had two problems with Malcolmus. One is I never made it through Gravity's Rainbow, you know, and I'll make no apologies <laughs> for that. It didn't make any sense to me, and Malcolmus's lyrics never made any sense to me, and I wasn't going to pretend that they did. Here, he's being a little bit pithier, kind of laughing at himself getting old and still being in rock and roll. There are other times when he's inscrutable, and there are a few times when he goes towards that almost fish-like overindulgence of guitar noodling, but far fewer than on any of the records he's given us in the last three or four. So yeah, I think Mirror Traffic is by far the best solo Malcolmus, and it's good to have him back. A double buy it from the two of us. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week in honor of Labor Day, we're going to play some of our favorite songs about work. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with the able assistance of Annie Minoff and our interns Kobe Ashpiss and our fearless leader, our executive producer for 300 episodes, has been Tori Southside Malatia, who must stop listening at some point because he never complains about us making fun of him. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, guys, this is Kathy Cassidy in Raleigh, North Carolina. If I sound a little shaken, it's because we just had an earthquake. But anyway, I'm calling because I was in the process of getting ready to go teach a class this morning at 6 a.m. at a gym. I was going to teach a spin class, and I heard the news about Jerry Lieber on the news. And so I very quickly got iTunes out and rearranged my playlist and threw a bunch of Lieber and Stoller songs into the mix. It was easy to do because I had so much. And we used everything from Yakety Yak to Hound um, Dog and Stuck in the Middle with You. I used Stand By Me. They had so many hits and there was so much to choose from. It was so easy. And the class loved it. I've never had so many people singing along with the music as they're madly pedaling along. Don't you give me no dirty looks. Hey guys, this is uh, Stu from San Francisco. Heard your Buried Treasure show and wanted to toss in the recent solo LP by David Bazan, ex of Pedro the Lion. While he's not exactly unknown, he does kind of dwell in that cult singer-songwriter place. The title track, Strange Negotiations, is a pretty clear expression of his frustration with the guy, a majority of us elected president. And indeed, the songs here are, are really shot through with confounded personal and political thoughts on, on the backward and underwater state of things today. You kick 
Give us your opinions on Sound Opinions. Call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.